0: And welcome to all our listeners out there. Um, this is Art Monthly at Resonance FM. And tonight I'm joined by Virginia Wiles, art historian, critic, and author, um, Bob Dickinson, who I, you will actually be familiar with all these speakers if you're regular listeners. Um, Bob Dickinson, writer and broadcaster based in Manchester, and David Lillington, writer and curator based in London. And I'm Patricia Bickers. I'm standing in, really, for Matt and Chris. Um, I'm editor of Art Monthly, and I'm very happy to be here. Um, I'm going to start, if I may, with um, you, Virginia, if you don't mind, (laughs) because in these rather fractured times we're living through, you wrote about um, Suzanne Lacey's performance, Shapes of Water, Sounds of Hope, in which she was commissioned really to try and reconcile two opposing communities whose opposition to each other and antagonism went back some years um how did you feel she approached this very difficult task
1: well i mean as a an extraordinarily mature activist an art activist for functioning over four decades really 50 years She's 71 and (laughs) still at it, and she approached it with sheer professionalism. So uh, the issue was very intriguing because of that, Uh, and it raises all sorts of questions around the notion of um, collaboration and participation. Perhaps you could tell us
0: the specific Mm. circumstances in in, uh, Lancashire, the... Um, yes, well the, the specific,
1: it's in Briarfield Mill, which is actually the largest, one of the, if not the largest mill in Europe at, the, at its height. But it collapsed for several reasons. One of the biggest ironies was that the collapse happened because it just wasn't getting high-tech enough with this whole shift of textile production going to South Asia. And ironically the mill workers that had been imported from Pakistan mostly in the 40s, late 40s, early 50s, uh, are the ones who have suffered most eventually now in the third, second, third generation because it's split up. But they, the, the, the iron, irony is that they were brought because they were actually skilled in the techniques that Manchester had refused at that time in the late 40s. Um, and then they, eventually it collapsed really gradually and especially around 2000. And it's been a kind of wasteland, literally, and uh, all sorts of projections onto it, of course, by local um, mobilier, uh, housing agents. And there is a huge project for it. But meanwhile, in situ, it was a very, very interesting group lodged in the mill Who've been there a long time, and I've met them before. Who collaborate with local uh, local residents and local artists? Try uh, commissioned Susan, Suzanne Lacey to bring the the two communities together, the communities that have split, that are both former workers in the mill, Asian and white, and to do it via her rather traditional ritual idea of through potlatch, which is a sort of uh, uh, ancient North Indian potlatch feasting ceremony, which the situation is referred to in Batain and all sorts of ethnographers and through singing. So she had this great idea. She did her research. She was back and forth for two, three years. And she found that there was this tremendous community of Sufis amongst the Pakistanis. In fact, it's one of the biggest Sufi communities in England who do regular chanting. So and she invited them with another group of singers who do this shape note singing, which actually goes back to the 16th century in that area of England. And her idea was to have them sing together which was quite phenomenal, and they rehearsed and practised and then brought people in, and then eventually on the actual D-Day to have all this inside the middle of this empty, vast space with the group singing together, and then at the end of the day to have the feast with 500 people, and I have to say it was really successful in the end in the sense that everybody felt something had happened but en route there were lots of questions that came up as you can imagine
0: um have any of you seen this were you did you see this bob
2: i i went up to um, bryfield to to meet suzanne lacy oh, uh when they were rehearsing it yeah and uh it's an incredible building. Oh, amazing. It's uh just and of course it. because it's so big and empty, yeah. it's a fantastic uh, um echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. And they were they had a Sufi singer just doing a sort of acoustic sound check without any microphones or anything yeah. and it just echoed around like a sort of cathedral. Yeah. It was absolutely Astonishing. Yeah. Um,
1: what,
0: what did they do? There's, there's obviously some sort of uh, metaphors here between spinning and
1: twirling. Oh, yes, lots of metaphors, obviously, to do with the dervish and the fact hmm. that it was called a spinning room, that hall originally. Yeah. So all that fitted in and fitted in very much to the kind of rhetoric around it. Where What I, what I found difficult uh, in the whole process was that, in fact... Because she is a producer, she's an amazing producer, and why not? You know, I mean, actually, this brings a lot of questions to the four. It was highly, highly structured, strategically structured. It had to be. And that's what disconcerted the participants in the sense that it was being filmed for eventually a video that she said had to be sort of... I can't remember the exact words, but she talked about having a resonance, a beautiful resonance, that's going to be put on eventually across the world in different art museums, starting with the Tate. So the... the they in the actual reality of the event, uh, what they weren't expecting, the singers, were having to keep stopping and starting like any film and repeating, uh, which was highly, let's say, discomforting in a sense. It interrupted and uh, uh, it was a drag in every way. But, you know, uh, this was... uh, They agreed in the end, a lot of them, although they were unhappy about it that finally you know perhaps the in the end result it was worth suffering the suffering and and that's that's the idea Does that raises. also
0: mean they've lost a certain ownership of the work?
1: Well, or I the experience? Think, in a sense yes and they're very intrigued as to know how that's going to come out hmm. that didn't really come up during the day I'm sure it will come up after and they were w- very much wanting to see what I was going to write about it and then so it threw up all these issues of how uh, because of her link with the aesthetic side and wanting this kind of control that is the thing that for me decide, d- divides it in a sense from certain other activist collaboration but then it's, it's all to do with what you're aiming at and Mm. she's aiming at a huge political uh, gesture that has possible social transformation and in a sense, you know, that's why eventually, reluctantly, I I, I, I once lived with a theatre director who uh, participation, improvisation, everything is really crucial on the way but when you're doing something that has to end up with a performance that is being put on public. Somebody has to take responsibility for it. And this is where the division comes in. I yeah. don't know. You didn't.
2: I, I, I think there, she was talking to me about a bit about the possible effect that that might have mm. on the day of the performance. Yeah. Um, in that the discipline, the, mm. the two disciplines that she's... or the num- There are a number of different disciplines that she's bringing together. Um, and And... But it wouldn't have happened unless she'd have had this long-term uh, yeah. run-up period of developing yeah. meetings Absolutely. and uh, community group, groups and relationships between the communities. Yeah.
1: No, So bravo uh, for that.
2: Yeah, but I think they may not have been ready for you know, the shock of her kind of coming in and directing everything. Yeah, yeah. And she said that always happens yeah, in sure. a lot of her projects, or it often happens in a lot of her projects, that she has to come in and, mm. and basically boss people around yeah, because that's, yeah. that's what happens and, and that's the way the film industry works. And that's sure. the way, you know, that, that's the only way it's going to get done.
0: Yeah. Well, if I may, um, we can always come back to this yeah. later on, but I was going to segue here into, Bob, your article because it seems to me that um, (laughs) self-help seems relevant here (laughs) 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 because um, this is all about collaboration and helping out but also about harnessing other people's creativity. And in a way, that seems to be really what you're talking about in in your article um, on the self-help industry. There are so many books being produced harnessing... Artists' creativity, or the concept of creativity. What do you think underlies all this? Well, I
2: are uh, two things. I think the the, pub- the publishing industry obviously does well out of self help books, and over the last few years, the the trend has moved away, or, or it's moved out of the uh, kind of. Uh, self uh, individual development, uh, spirituality sections of the bookshop into 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 the arts section, and I, I was kind of repeatedly going into bookshops and wondering why there were these these new books coming out in in uh, in, in the arts section that were about uh, that seemed to be marketing themselves on the extent to which you can become creative by becoming an artist. And
0: could you maybe list a few of them for the <laughs> well, listener?
2: <laughs> well, the one that I think. Um, the one that I mean, I, uh, that I picked up first was was Will Gompert's book, "Think Like an Artist," um, and uh, uh, lead, and lead a, m- a more creative, productive life. Which is, <laughs> and, and Will Gompertz <laughs> is well known as his in his role as as as, as a, a, ch- a chief correspondent at the BBC for, for for matters connected with you know anything to do with the arts and anything. And, <laughs> well, just about. I mean, just <laughs> everything from pop music to. To he has done quite a lot of contemporary art but he 's a very winning accessible fun or that 's his image anyway mm-hmm. and that 's his approach to to presentation so his book is um, uh, uh, it, it 's a series of encounters with different artists from which he kind of tries to draw lessons and it 's a well made book with some really nice illustrations, but there are other types of approaches taken um, uh, notably by uh, people like Austin Cleon who's an American writer who apparently is an artist and he's learned everything that he suggests to you from his own life lessons, his own experience and he's trying to seriously encourage young artists really but it's all it's very very much uh, a lot of these books have a a sort of novelty value so Austin Kleon's books have, uh, you know, a free rubber band and a sort of special wallet to pick up things that you might have found lying around that that uh, that, that inspire you to become creative, um, and uh, there are other, uh, you know, artists uh, or, or, or writers um, uh, like Alan de Botton. Yeah, Alan de Botton. Yeah. He's um, everywhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who takes a naturally sort of philosophical approach to writing, but there's writers who. Uh, to 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 creativity but there's writers like Julia Cameron who's trying to get um who who's ri- who's written a book about people who are f- you know entering retirement who want a, a a creative outlet and and it seems to me this is all to do with the need for creativity in a society in our kind of society at this particular historical point
0: well that's that but that's a somewhat banal surface um reading of it, but underlying that i think there's something more sinister going on is there not?
2: Well I guess it's to do because these books really go back to the 19th century people like Samuel Smiles they had an economic purpose then which was to do with liberalism and they have an economic purpose now it's connected to the sort of Protestant work ethic I think and to what Foucault calls the tendency towards becoming the need even for people to become the each person to become an entrepreneur of the self and i sort of to put it in very simplistic terms think about the way our our economy has created a much more atomized uh workforce more and more people who you might kind of associate with what's been called the precariat people on short term contracts people not knowing what they're going to be doing tomorrow, people on zero-hours contracts, and not in contact with each other. There's no sort of commonality. It's the opposite of that world at the Brierfield Mill in Lancashire that existed up until about the 1960s or 70s where everybody knew each other, even if some of the workforce was white and some of the workforce came from Pakistan and they didn't naturally trust each other, they all worked together, and they were all in unions.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, God, um, those were the days.
2: <laughs> and it's not like... And this is that we're, we're mm. in a completely different world mm. now. And I think I think this world of sort of fragmented, atomized workers, where everybody's worried about tomorrow and everybody's worried about their ability to keep delivering and keep working and keep finding work and keep being... Keeping just motivated to do something <laughs> it is but that's uh,
1: why in a way i felt that um, <coughs> two, two things i thought that what <clears throat> well, it's probably part one of us that you're going to write more because i feel that what it lacked was, was a bit too much on gombos <laughs> but i mean <laughs> uh, uh, and not and it would have been interesting to have some exchange with people who use these books to you know if, what what yeah. did they get out of them? I mean, yeah. what audience are they addressing? And then, because it's uh, the link with business is underlying everything, and that's why I think your good point in the article is when you bring it round to the whole notion of the myth of art being a mystery, a creative mystery about creativity, and that the reality is that... Um, <laughs> When you, To try and make it as an artist today is so bloody hard and there's the demolition of artist spaces and studios and yeah. that's far more important than these self-help books. You know, I feel that now what we need is... That's why I ended my thing on a high note with um, uh, Lacey because, um, partly ethical thing, because of Brexit because I thought, you know, we've, <laughs> we need self-help books <laughs> on how to handle Brexit and now Trump.
3: Yeah, I thought, we d- um, yeah, sorry. I, was going to say I thought his um you know his discussion of Will Gompus was uh, allowed him to do a little bit of a a character study of one of the Im- sort of yes, yes. important in inverted commas writers of these self-help books. Mm. And also to um and he's quite a well-known character, you know, to take him apart a little bit. There's this fantastic bit where he um <laughs> I'm going to quote, Lee, <laughs> made me laugh. Um, this leads him, as Will Gompertz, to propose that this radical step—that freelance workers <laughs> ought to get a share of corporate bonuses—instead <laughs> of signing over their intellectual property rights.
2: Yeah. And, then,
3: and then Bob says, "Good luck with that one, Will," <laughs> yeah. which really yeah. sort of sums up not just Will Gompertz, but yeah. the whole genre of self-help books. He's, yeah. I mean, he hasn't quite stated how. Um, you know, the undercurrent of cynicism in his writing, he hasn't quite... Uh, <laughs> 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 well. Are you accusing me of being cynical?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you do say at the end that the only people who make money out of self-help books are the people who write them, of course.
2: Yeah, well, I, think, uh, I, th- I
3: guess for cynicism I mean realism. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. So, like,
0: yeah. Like. we mostly do. Um, well, the idea that you raised of ritual and um virginia and bob was talking about the fact that people don't know what's happening next these both tie into issues raised by you david um in death limited um which is not about people who make art about death but what you call death art and you do raise that issue of one of the things that motivates this is the fear of not knowing what's going to happen and like with brexit in the the particular, but also a more general melancholy, a more general sense of malaise, of people not knowing and fearing what happens next, in the absence, of course, of religion and other supposedly social unifying forces.
3: Yeah, you actually brought up about three yes. different things there. <laughs> um, the fear thing, there's two important things there. The second one is really the probably the heart of... My article, actually, but the first one um, I met this Deborah Boardman quite a long time ago, and she curated this show called Mortal um, back in two thousand and one, I think it was and um, so I had this catalogue, and she says she curated this exhibition um to assuage her fear of death. And I was curating an exhibition of my own at the time. And I was quite impressed with this because no-one ever says this. No-one ever says, I did this artwork or I curated this exhibition because of a fear of death. And that... um, So I was quite struck by that. And so I quoted her in my press release for the exhibition I was doing. Uh, about three people came up to me and said, This is terrible, you know, you shouldn't curate anything out of fear or I just thought. Yeah. So um, there's that. And then what was quite sad actually, which I haven't really explained in the article, was that um, I re-established contact with Deborah when I did this exhibition called Death and Dying in Vienna in 2014. So that's only two years ago. So um, when I was writing this article, I wrote to her with a whole load of questions because I was going to quote her, and I didn't get a reply, and then I found out through a mutual friend that she had died. So this was actually quite a shock, but that happened. Um, But I suppose, yeah, to go back to your point, that she sort of reminded me and sort of confirmed that I think, um, you know, this natural fear of death is a natural thing, and there's no getting around that. Um, the second part <laughs> of what you were asking, really, which is to jump to, I think, what is the most important part of the article, is about this Eva Reimers. Um, I don't think she'll mind us calling her Eva Reimers. Mm-hmm. She's a Swedish um, cultural theorist, and I, I've met her a few times now but I first saw her speaking in 2009 um, at the ninth conference of death, dying and disposal which is (laughs) um, yeah, death things all have very, you know
1: funeral directors
3: no, it's a conference it's an interdisciplinary multidisciplinary conference of all academics from all different disciplines amazing it is amazing it's internet you know People come from all over the world. It's probably the biggest or one of the biggest death conferences. Um, It was a revelation to me, I have to say. So this is how I've started studying this. Anyway, to get back to Eva Rimas, she gave this talk about memorials, um, and in particular the uh, televised funeral of this Fadim Sahindal, who was... um, Murdered by her father in an honor killing in Sweden. But Eva Reimer's point is that um, we make memorials and build monuments to say to ourselves um, that society will, our society will survive, that we've been through this terrible thing before, and here it is again, and we're still here, and we'll survive. So it's a way of society reassuring itself and, you know, confirming its own identity. Um, of course, this becomes quite interesting when you consider, for example, that there have been more monuments to the Second World War built since the millennium than were built between forty-five and the millennium. That's 30.
0: fascinating.
3: So that suggests, you know, mm. that we might be dealing here if Eva is... And it's not just her, you know... She as I say, she cites like twenty two other hmm. sociologists and philosophers and so on. It suggests a certain fear of war, for example.
2: Um is that, so in, is that just in Britain? Because Britain's got a kind of big thing about the Second World War, haven't
3: they? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's that's
2: in that particular that particular figure is is Britain,
3: yeah. Yeah. But it yes, yeah, so that's a Um,
0: But where does art come in here? Because um, one of the things you say is perhaps art attempts to construct new norms.
3: Well, OK, what I'm suggesting, and I'm, you know, like, as I say, I'm doubtful about it, I'm not sure, but perhaps... um, Because there's a lot of art about death been over the last few years. So I'm suggesting that perhaps a similar you can apply a similar principle that really, well it's what Elizabeth Price said to me actually when I said why do you think there's so much art about death she just said we're in dark times so it's the political situation and I think it's not just um, uh, Ivo Ramos is really talking about like a, a Swedish identity for example that's threatened by a an idea of an other outside of um, Sweden. Um, but I think it's it can be a sort of internal thing as well. So um, that's why I cite this band, Biseiner Hoylt, from Vienna, who did this song called The People Next Door, Tudar Neben, which is... You know, the problem is amongst us. You know, it's right Mm. here Mm. with us. Um, Mm. (laughs) It's Mm. the people next door who are... um,
0: But it's... It's it's one one of the most worrying things about deathliness is how often it is accompanied with shifts to the right Um, because everybody knew that, you know, Hitler had a goethe complex and... uh, I remember historians at the time saying, well, he would immolate himself at the end, wouldn't he? He'd go up in flames. There's something so deathly. Um, There's a positive side that, as you show in your article, that it's no sort of a taboo at all. That's uh, not true. On the contrary, in some ways, you could say we're obsessed with death, increasingly so, the memorials being one. Um, It's also, I suppose lack of some other cohesive force in this very divided, very dark times indeed yeah. that we live in.
3: Well I think the question of the connection with the right wing is one that I haven't gone into. Mm. The thing is, I've kind of like I said, I've kind of steered away from analysing the different types of death art. And it's, because it's very, very complicated actually. And Also there's an awful lot of um, what you might call very popular they're not necessarily bad but there's a lot of, like for example someone just sent me last week a lecture about desecration of human remains, you know, including the digging up of Cromwell's body which was then hanged Mm -hmm. and this was in, I can't remember where it was now, but some perfectly worthy museum probably a very good talk you know, but this is a sort of quite popular talk and there's a lot of, like, last year I got an email, my heart sank, actually, um, in October, declaring that October was death month. And you opened it, and there were about 12 boxes with different events, and what's, and quite interesting events, tours of cemeteries, um, all sorts of stuff. Well, it's Halloween,
0: stuff. isn't it?
3: Yeah, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but this was quite, I hadn't had this before. I don't remember it being, I mean, maybe it was just because I've got onto those mailing lists, but... You know, you click mm. on each box, and there's another five events. So, that's well, quite... in
0: this in this article, but... you say very deliberately that you didn't want to talk about particular artists and particular artworks, and that that might be, of course, a future article. She says, with her editor's hat on, um, but at the same time, you say that in a strange way, the formal means internal to art are very appropriate for addressing. If you like, not the God hole, but the death hole, how to handle, how to deal with death, and that art is well placed to do so, particularly, you say, um, performance, video, and photography. Why do you think that is? Or why does anyone here think that is?
3: Um, well, I think some of the reasons are fairly obvious. Like, there are different kinds of video. There's, like, Katatarzyna Kotzira did a video of her chemotherapy. You know, or um, or Joe you know, Spence, f- of course. Joe uh, Spence, yeah, obviously, yeah. Yes. Um,
0: Recorded her her mm, own cancer mm. photographically and in text.
3: Yeah. Um, there's something in um, in the November issue of uh, Mortality, which is the Journal of the Association for the Study of Death and Society, on a guy called Peter Hugo, who I'd never heard of. Who was a photographer who's photographing yes. dead bodies? Yes. Um, and of course, then it, it talks about um, Serrano and mm-hmm. various other.
0: Um, oh, Delacroix, for that matter.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, Walter Schells, um, who also photographed people before they got their permission, photographed them dying and then dead. And, you know, these, this use of photography.
0: It connects, yeah, it, connects,
3: yeah. connects obviously with, the hit, you know, with Roland Barthes and the idea of the connection of photography and death and the idea of the indexical nature of photography under the death mask. And you know, these things mm. are fairly so I don't know. But performance, but, I mean, these really are things that I haven't really looked into particularly. Performance, I suppose, um, you can you got people like Tai Shani who says that her work is. Um, you know very well. she said it was all about death, but I think you can what you can say is that if you take death out of her work, then it would lose its bite, you know certainly um, but that enables her to um you know bring in lots of things at once and complicate the the um
0: but the but separate, Jenny, i think you you uh, you also curated a show on. Death yes. and art. <laughs> um, as as David said earlier, uh, when we were just chatting, surprising number of people and mm. have curated shows on on death and death art. Um,
1: yes, well this was what, ages, ages ago. So it's eight, 1998, so uh, which makes it 18 years ago. And it started off very much influenced by the site of the show because uh, it was in Rouen, uh, École des Beaux-Arts, the school, art school, where I was teaching. And the site is a medieval cemetery for plague victims. And it's absolutely extraordinary place where the columns are, in, are inscribed with and carved with the danse macabre. So the arts, the work by the students, I'd noticed when I did this, I'd been there nearly 20 years, was... Very much related to Freud's remark about culture being the resulting from the interaction between Eros and Thanatos. It was either about sex or death, <laughs> their work. It sounds corny, but that's how it was throughout yeah. the 80s and the early 90s, and at 90s very particular and especially around the AIDS epidemic. So that was all, it was related to the site plus the fact that the father of my kids died very young that year. So death was a motivation, and in a way a sense of a fear. But my approach was through anthropology, since I was on the verge of becoming a pseudo-anthropologist, and I asked 14 artists from nine different countries to give their representation of a ritual around death according to their culture, mm. either a ritual or a concept. So it was, it was um, a fusion of, of some rather serious and heavy and morbid ideas, but also some very light, much lightweight, lighter weight and funny. Uh, aspects mm-hmm. you know and, and um, so there were all sorts of people who were involved in it I mean I uh, had um, Susan Hiller doing her thing with Freud uh, her uh, with uh, reproducing her work with Freud but there were Indi- so the artists were Indian, French, German, Chinese, Korean, American, Moroccan, I had Jimmy Durham <coughs> doing a crazy piece yeah. that had no clear relation to death uh, Irish, Pakistani, Irish was... Um, the lovely mm. Irish artist Alice Mayher, who did a thing about how uh, women grow, grow their hair and chant over death and long, and she did these extraordinary wall pieces in situ around the, the space. And then we had a, a debate around between anthropologists and artists around the theme, yeah. which was really interesting. Anyway, I won't go on about it.
2: Sorry, was your... Was what you were curating was sort of more to do with the memorialization of, of death. I or suppose
1: in a way it was about it was definitely about ritual and and you know in the sense that uh, Lucy Lippard talks all the time about how art today is replacing the loss of ritual, and it was thinking how death has become, uh, and of course now with what's happened in Paris, it's very interesting to see the the ritual revived around it, the uh, horrific things at the Bataclan and, and and how important it is to commemorate it. So I think it's actually, there's a desire for more ritual around death.
3: Yeah, and I think, going back to your question about the um, performance and why performance, what you, Virginia, just said about, you know, humour and the funny, mm. I think it's traditional, you know, that humour and theatre are ways of dealing with these terrible things basically so that's it's a fairly traditional thing to do that and that's quite interesting because you relate this to the dance of death which i'm really interested in these Mm -hmm. paintings with the pairs dancing pairs with one Mm well they're not really dancing the death figure invites the living figure to dance that is to die so you get the skeleton figure Mm -hmm. And then a living figure. Holbein's, and this is Holbein's dance of
2: death has just been yes. republished in Penguin right. oh, well, Classics. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it's okay. fantastic. But it's it is
0: extraordinary oh. how the totem dance, dance or the dance oh, yes. macabre—it's not really uh, um, in the Anglo-Saxon world so much, is it? There was one
3: in the old St Paul's oh. that was burnt yeah. down.
0: Yes. Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And that's another subject, really. Yeah. But, but I'm going back. At, sorry, okay.
2: <laughs> But I think the dance of death is yes. quite an interesting subject, even yeah. now, because I think we're we've been talking about memorialization of death but i think in 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 the way in in the ecological sense in the sort of sense of um the anthropocene and all those sort of things that, that we're also talking about we're a society that's driven towards you know it's a death driven society in and there is still a dance of death going on in in what we do in the way we live and
3: well, the death well, of nature, I think, death is, death of nature, is yes. obviously. I mean, as I keep saying over and over again in my article, I I don't have any answers, as, <laughs> but um, it seems to me that you know the death of nature must be important in a lot of the art that's dealing with death. You know, to me, anyway.
0: Well, I so. don't think I don't think we have that sort of. BBC duty of, of sort of balance. No. And, no, now we must not. Now no. we must all be cheerful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one positive thing that does come out of this is there seems to be an in- increasing role for art in this because you yourself have plotted how many shows about art, how it is not a taboo subject, on the contrary. And beyond the cliché of sex and death, there have been some very interesting works, and in fact, you go as far as saying—and I think this is absolutely true—that death is a part of all art. How can it not mm. be mm-hmm. if mm. it's any good?
3: Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually not sure about that. I mean, that was—that was not something I said. Actually, that was something I was kind of quoting. Um, I think I idea that all art about—well, you death.
0: haven't attributed it.
3: Well, I've, I've, I've said, I've written rather sort of as a bit of a joke someone is about to say all art is about death but I'm being a bit cynical about that statement I think to say all art about death is not really to say very much um, although I think it's...
0: Oh no, you say as a, is a part of artists' work that's, that's what I, you wrote not that oh, all just... art's about death, definitely <laughs> but that it's a part of all art, how can it not be?
3: no i 'm just I was just trying to define different kinds of art about death that it 's not that there 's a corner of the art world that does death it 's that mm-hmm. um, for example, you know some artists will do a piece about death, some will say all my art is on this subject. Some works have that as part of their subject it's There are different um ways of dividing this art. You know, it's not just there is Damien Hurst who does his. Oh, death yes. Thing, yes. Which I fine. Yes. <laughs> but but um, that's
0: more illustrative. I don't find it actually engages with the issues. Mm. It illustrates those issues in quite cliched forms. Because that's another thing you raise, you know, that art, death art or art to do with death, isn't all about skeletons and skulls, and there's been plethora of that. Um, it's much more, I think, the more interesting aspect. That you raise and that has um, everyone here has raised um, um, Virginia too is this ritual aspect that Lucy Lippard mentioned, and it does seem that that funeral you were mentioning in Sweden that people more and more cleave to these, um, if you think of Francis Elise too with his processions, these public mm-hmm. act- enactments these getting coming together mm-hmm. um, of course within that there are those um, complex issues that you raise, Virginia, um, where you have a producer. And I was reminded of the Battle of Orgreave. I went to the actual Battle of Orgreave and at the same time, the film was being made.
3: Actually, can I just... This this actually goes back to a question you asked earlier that I never answered because we went off. I went (laughs) off. But just before Virginia comes back in. um, This is what... Eva Reimers is saying that ritual, according to ritual theory these sort of enactments like this funeral that was televised this young woman who was killed they actually um, kind of restructure values so I'm asking the question as to whether that's what artists are trying to do in the current sort of crisis we're in they're trying to reform values in some way Possibly. That was the idea.
1: Yes. I'm convinced of that. Yes. And, uh, even just in Mary Douglas talks about the necessity of ritual to enhance and bring together social cleavages, you know, a crisis in purity and danger. Um, the, the stories around death abound at the moment. I mean, I'm thinking of... Uh, Interestingly enough, you wrote on migrants in an earlier piece, yeah. and I've just written on an artist who's working on the whole issue of migrants at the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. And um, uh, there's a, a story that I reread that somebody told me that's how extraordinary that uh, there were 350 migrants who drowned off Lampedusa, I think it was in 2013, 2014. And in Dying, they were granted Italian citizenship, something they'd never have got if they'd mm. been alive. Yeah. It's, it sort of takes on a proportion. That, mm. And another story is how uh, Palestinians are only allowed back uh, from Israel, Do captivity, repatriated? Uh, if they're dead, mm. for to be yeah. buried, mm. for burial. Mm. So, you know, in death comes a kind of uh, shift... <laughs> Of, of status, you know, yeah. um, and that well, that's something that's acknowledged in several religions. But I mean, um, one of the students said to me this week, we were talking about the miseries of what's gone on this week with America, and he said, "Oh no, the most ups." And I said, "And are you all upset about Leonard Cohen?" And uh, they weren't that. I suddenly felt a generation. <laughs> <go>. <laughs> and one guy said, oh, the most upsetting day of this year for me is David Bowie's death. And they, they would rather... That that was something they really wanted to talk about. It was interesting. Mm. So it's mm. death of heroes.
3: Yeah. He came up, actually... Um, this is a little bit off at of a tangent, but I went to a death cafe not so long ago. As you year. do. <laughs> As, well, as I as I as I now do. How do you eat burnt toast? <laughs> yeah, they're obliged to have tea and cake. Yeah.
2: Where was this? Um, the West, West London Buddhist Centre. All right, okay.
3: But there's lots of them, and I have to say it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've been, I think, three three times, possibly four. It was really good, and all the people there had good reasons for being there. Mm. It's a discussion group, really, but. It wasn't full of strange people. It was full of perfectly sensible people with good reasons for... It was very interesting. I recommend it. Um, This Australian documentary filmmaker pointed out there's a fashion in Australia for not having the body at the funeral. And then an American woman spoke up and said, oh, yes, that's happening in America too. So they were... um, This is going back to the whether we're a death-denying society thing. They were saying, oh, this is an example of... Death denial, and they said, Oh, this is what happened at David Bowie's funeral as well. Mm. That his body wasn't at really? the actual. But I don't know the details of that, you see. You'd need to know what the actual.
1: Was it at Sotheby's? Detail Sotheby's of family. that was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this what Marina Abramovich is planning to do? Mm. She's going to have sort of five funerals, and you are supposed oh, to guess yeah. where, which one is mm. the, the, real the actual one. real Marina, yes. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Well, who could, who could possibly guess who the real Marina is these days? <laughs> anyway, but,
2: Virginia, I interrupted
3: you.
0: No, so.
1: you didn't, know.
0: But that's where the performance comes in, yeah. you see. And, and the other thing that you raised, Virginia, that this awful thing that perhaps the only recognition you get is in death because then you're no threat to anyone. Mm. So we make this huge fuss over death. And the only celebration of the living is things like Oscars and awards and medals. and. But the rest of us, do we have to wait for death to, <laughs> to be celebrated? And then we might not even be there. Maybe just a box people are celebrating. Yeah. I
1: it's
0: went to a cool. funeral like that very recently and I, I knew the person intimately. <clears throat> and I thought that box is simply not big enough. (laughs) So, and I don't know how I felt about that. I thought, well, does it really matter because we're dead? So we're having a ritual, that's all.
3: But going, yeah, this, going back to this thing of death denial, I got really interested in this, Um, this idea of, because I kept hearing people saying, and they're still saying it, you know, that death is a taboo and we're a death-denying society. And I think it's complicated. And in some ways we might be. In other ways we're not. But I kind of traced the. This is, you know, I mentioned this, like Lynn Laughlin, who wrote this book in 1978, which is really, really forthright about us not being a death denying society. (laughs) Um, And saying, you know, there's so many books around on this subject. And then previous writers have said, yeah, and since Lynn Laughlin wrote, there's another. Yes thousand or something. Well we've had several
0: Um, uh, self-help books come in since you published your article for review. Yeah. But maybe the ultimate self-help book is of course how to die, (laughs) how to plan your funeral and uh, how you want it acted out, performed recorded. Perhaps because you make the point in your article (coughs) about, it's raised by one of your sources, that um, there was a shift when people no longer left it to the funeral directors to dispose of ashes, mm. but wanted to claim the ashes for themselves and work out their own ritual to get to disperse them, or hold on to them, or do whatever they wanted. Recently, somebody um, yeah. scattered ashes in the uh, Covent Garden Royal Opera House. Well, that's, <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean,
2: that... and <laughs> yeah. in the in New York, in the in an opera house in New York.
0: Oh yes, that's right in the Lincoln Center.
2: Yeah, over the over the orchestra yes,
0: pit. Yes, yes. So hmm. th- this is all part of, of this movie. Well, that's
3: where I was. I was trying to draw it, make a harmony. Well, I was actually quoting Jenny Hockey, who's just won an award for something. She's a really well-known death sociologist, um, and was the president of the Association for the Study of Death and Society. Um, but she said, "Oh, there is a harmony between what seems to be going on in art and what happened in." in real life if you like, or in the studies she was doing, where people were sort of reclaiming these ashes and doing personal Mm. rituals or something with them. And that there's they you know, they drew a graph of it that sort of in the nineties went right up. Mm. So sort of she and I together were trying to sort of make a comparison between what happened in the nineties in art and what happened Mm. in I don't know. I mean, I suppose you can find things if you really look for them. Yes. Always. But,
0: but I suppose <laughs> we're coming full circle in a way because the feast, the potlack, the, the the feast is absolutely what the Greeks did. The <coughs> symposium with mm. the empty seat for the dead person was mm. a feast uh, in which they celebrated the dead. <coughs> and that was part of the funerary ritual, not quite the wake that the Irish still celebrate. And it's not all about getting drunk. In fact, that was found upon. But that the symposium seems to bring all this together (laughs) because we're having a modern symposium right now about these very issues. So it it seems that just when you think you've shifted far away from
1: the way things used to be, in a way we're just reconfiguring it. Yes, and I think in the sense of um, the debate around participation and collaboration and (coughs) performance, etc., what's interesting is the way... um, it splits slowly and it splits almost down the middle but not through the book of Bouriau on relational aesthetics and I was just thinking that in a way what you're suggesting is that death should be brought in to the whole theme of relational aesthetics. Let's bring it in as a way of getting together better and have links and the accusation there would be from Claire Bishop or um, who's the other guy, Kester, who... Mm -hmm. uh, is that um, and I actually tend to agree with him I think Bourriot is so lightweight and and mm-hmm. l- lacking in political dimension but in a way he is also he's misreading but intentionally I think because he's funnily enough he's a very good drummer he's <laughs> <laughs> about the notion of play which is very important and that play comes into Aesthetics through Rancière that that is brought into the whole discussion of that by um, Claire Bishop in particular and then you get to this issue then how much should we take play seriously in the sense or should we have the whole excuse my French here but the philosophy of fuck art let's dance which you know is attractive to a lot of uh, students and movements taking one aspect of Surrealism and But isn't that isn't
0: back it? to the dance of death? You know, yeah. that um, yeah. there's this wonderful uh, Liber Vermulion, is it called, Vermulis? Um, the Red Book. And mm. there's wonderful um, 13th century dances. Mm. And they sound so jolly. You know, these the, uh, songs that they sang outside St. Peter's in Rome when they're uh, celebrating death. Mm. Well,
3: I mean, I'm not suggesting we should do anything. I just—I no. was just trying to describe yeah. just a little bit of...
0: Now, you just spoiled it. I once. almost ended on oh, a sorry. happy <laughs> note, like BBC would expect. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've gone back. Oh, it, it's, it's down to me now to just thank you so much for contributing to this debate. And I hope that listeners, if they want to read the original articles, will uh, look up... This is Art Monthly 401... Uh, uh, we're in our 40th year so 401 Um, and you can read the original articles Um, and also this of course will be uploaded and the um, um, podcast will be on our website in the fullness of time and I hope you'll tune into that and other podcasts which you can also access on our website so I just want to thank everybody Bob Dickinson David Lillington, Virginia Wiles, thank you so much for a fascinating debate. And we can go off to the pub and continue it. (laughs) Thank 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 you.
3: Thank you.